Well, let me just add my voice to Chris's who invited us to worship God this morning and to encounter God. You know, we're not coming to church today to meet a religious requirement, to check the boxes, but we're, we're coming because he is the resurrection and the life, because to know God is to live. This is eternal life, that you may know him. And so as we're worshiping God, what we're doing is fulfilling what James said when he said, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And everything that's good in our lives and everything that is going to be added to our lives that is good is going to come from him. And so I encourage you today and I pray right now, Father, may we develop, Lord, the capacity to draw near to you. Lord, to give you all of the glory and all of the honor that is due your name. Lord, that we would worship you. God, we ask in Jesus' name that you would give us the capacity, oh, to come into your presence by faith, to come into your presence by the one and only way, by the righteousness of Jesus. Lord, so we set aside guilt We set aside confidence in the flesh, and we say, Lord, we just need you today. We love you. We say you. You are the source. You are the root. You are life. Lord, we say let resurrection life come into this room. May the God who created all things breathe upon not only this church, but this region. God, we are asking for our neighbors, Lord, for every church in our city, that righteousness would rain down from heaven. Lord, reveal your presence here in this place. We long for you. Let's worship him with all of our hearts today. I just want to just share something brief about worship. The Bible says that we are joint heirs with Christ. That means we are going to inherit what he has. Now, he served God in the perfectest way. And so he's been given a name above every name. And he's inviting us to be co-rulers with him. But how many of you would invite a son or a daughter to run your company who had nothing no knowledge about how your company is supposed to run. If they didn't understand your heart, if they didn't understand the industry, if they didn't understand how to do any of the work, could they, in fact, be given any kind of a significant title? I think the answer would be no. No, you, you have to train them. They have to come up. They have to become aligned to be able to do what you do. And as they increasingly can do what you do, you give them authority within your company. That is the Christian journey. We're not waiting to die so one day we're going to get this, this title. The title we get, or whatever we get, the crown or anything, is related to what it was we entered into while we were here on the earth. And so when we're saying glory to your name, when we're saying your kingdom come, when we're saying we are doing what he is doing, he, he brought order to chaos by the release of his word. 
He spoke his word. His word hovered over the earth. And his word created the heavens and the earth. His word brought alignment to the earth. And we are bringing alignment to our word, to our world by bringing his word. When you are worshiping, you're not just singing songs that might be true. We are releasing spirit and life that brings order to chaos. And we are coming in as co-heirs, co-rulers with him. We're learning to pick up the tools, the weapons of our warfare. We're taking our place alongside him. So, Lord, we're going to worship you, not just to give you the, the glory do your name, but in order to bring an alignment to the world that is Spruce Grove, to a world that is our own souls, to a world that is our own minds and the things that would war against them. Lord, we say your kingdom come. Your will be done. We contend, Lord, for heaven on the earth. Your presence. You know, there's a verse, and I've referred to it many, many times in years past, but it says this. It says, God inhabits the praises of his people. God is looking for places on the earth in which he can inject himself. Now, for sure, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God has a dwelling place in you. And he's looking for that expression of himself to come out of you. But also, we collectively are the body of Christ. And he dwells in us collectively. But there's ways in which he wants to come to the earth to manifest his presence like he did on Israel, on a church, to show himself mighty and strong. But it begins with a kind of devotion, a kind of prayer, a kind of worship. That's why he says, it says he looks for those who worship him in spirit and truth because he says, listen, I got so much power, so much of my glory, so much of my presence, I can change any nation, any city, any place. If I could just find a place that I can inject myself into. And this is the strategy of the kingdom of God on earth. So, Lord, we say, align us to you, align us in our hearts, align us with one another, and align us with heaven, God, that you might inject yourself more and more and more into this place. In Jesus' name. And we know it is going to happen because the earth will be filled not just with the omniscience of God or the omnipresence of God, that shadowy sort of ever-presentness of God that we can ignore, but a glory, a measure of the glory of God that causes every knee to bow and every tongue to confess that he indeed is Lord. That's the measure of the glory that's coming. It's coming. But it's going to start in pockets where people have gone after it, who believe, no, it could happen. It could happen in Spruce Grove. God could breathe on this part of the world and bring such a magnification of that presence that the earth would take notice. And everybody for miles around would begin to feel the reverberations of the glory and the presence of God. That's the purpose of the church, the gate of heaven, that we would be the gate of heaven. Father, make us the gate of heaven and the house of God. Like in Genesis 28, in Jacob's vision, his dream, Lord, where the angels ascended and descended, 
And he woke up and he said, this is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Father, we, we say, teach us how to be the gate here in Spruce Grove, here in Alberta. Can you say amen? Yeah. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for your body, your people. Thank you for the, uh, the deposit that you're putting into our lives. Thank you, Lord, for the, um, the promise at the, at the end, Lord, that we know that all things work together for good. And so, Lord, we can bear patiently with every circumstance, every difficulty. Lord, not as though it were all from you, but that you work everything together for good. Lord, even the bad, you can work for good. That's the nature of the victory that you have. So that even with death, we can say, death, where is your sting? So, Father, we ask today, God, that you would uh, give us an insight into your kingdom, how it works and how we can increase our participation in this thing called the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it, we're going to be looking at Matthew 13, so if you have a Bible and you want to look at that, you can turn to it. We're going to look at the parable of the sower in just a minute. But let me try and frame some of where we want to do. Um, Paul says this. He said, it pleased the Father to reveal his Son in me. And uh, I want to just talk about what that means, that Christianity is not just a set of morals. It's not just, just a list of behaviors of things that you need to do that others, uh, you know, are doing less good or that, you know, is different than what other religions do. Or It is a transformation from inside out. It is literally God taking a seed of something that has never been in you and putting it into the ground of your heart. Remember, you're all created from dirt, right? Anybody, you realize that we all came from the dirt. It, that, that symbology is not to be lost on us because what he did when we were born again is he put the seed of something eternal, something godlike inside of us, the very image of Jesus Christ, and the seed was placed into us. He didn't say, put the seed in there, now dirt around you, uh, become like Jesus. The seed is what becomes or manifests Jesus. So God is trying to form his son in you. That's why we need to set aside guilt and shame, and we need to set aside sin as well. But guilt and shame is one of those things that, that, that is just has no place in the life of the believer because when you are not a full-blown tree of righteousness, the issue is not beat the tree, right? You know, we just flog the tree, take a knife to the tree, you know, why aren't you bearing more fruit? Or beat the ground and say, you know, ground, why don't you be better? Because this is a, an organic process. The kingdom of God is an organic process to bring you into the image of Christ. To produce in you the righteousness of God. And uh, in the meantime, what you have is a constant journey of repentance, owning sin, you know, pulling the weeds out of your life, uh, doing whatever you can to not enhance the, the atmosphere so those weeds can grow faster, Right? You know, you want to create an atmosphere where that tree of righteousness can grow. But if you spend all your time bemoaning the fact that it's not what it should be or what you, it will be 10 years down the road, and, you know, in effect, you, you hide it in the dark 
until it gets bigger, it's not going to get anything, right? You know, you take your tomato plants that you're ashamed of and you put them in the basement, right? Away from the sunlight and you say to them, you're not going into the sun until you're nicer, until you're bigger, right? What's going to happen to those tomato plants? Nothing. So God has provided for us the means to access his presence because it's the light, it's the glory of his presence, it's the the warmth of the rays of his love that nurture the plant, that nurture the seed, that nurture the environment in order to bring forward the image of his son. So it has everything to do with this organic process of being born again by the seed of the word of God. And so the only question is, where are you in, in that journey? And also, as we're going to look at, what kind of soil is being provided for that seed, right? Is the soil appropriate for the planting of God? So that's where we're going today. All right, I'll start reading verse 3. It says, Then he spoke to them many things in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seed by the wayside, and birds came and devoured them. And some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up, but because they had no, earth, no depth of earth, but when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I'd like to go into the part in between verse 9 and verse 18 because it's really powerful, but I'll leave that for now. Maybe we'll talk about that next week. Anyway, they don't understand the parable, right? And so, man, I'm so tempted to look at verse, these other verses, but I'll save it for later. So look at, he explains the, the parable in verse 18. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, was it the word of what? The word of the kingdom. Yeah, let me just share that because this theme is going to come out more and more and more. The message that Jesus came to bring, he preached the gospel of the kingdom. He preached to them the kingdom of God. You know, we, we uh, sort of, we have the word of salvation. Jesus brought the word of the kingdom, you know, the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of salvation is in order to bring about the kingdom. And the kingdom is far greater than the fact that you have a, an eternity you know, a resting place, an assurance that you're not going to hell. It's far greater than that. It's about a kingdom, which we referenced during the worship. But so he says, if anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. He who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word, and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arise because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it who indeed bears fruit and produces some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Father, I pray today that you would give us a love for your word. God, to realize that these words, while they are texts and letters, 
and consonants, and they can be summarized in terms of the sounds they made. They are far more than that. They are a natural manifestation of a spiritual reality. So we pray, God, that we would not be like the Pharisees who are only trying to understand the speech or the text or the words of this, but we would hear the word, that the word of God will come and uh, transform our souls. Lord, you say in the Psalms, you said, how shall a young man make his way pure? By heeding to your word. Because when your word is released, it does something. It transforms, it changes. So Lord, we say today, let your word come and save us, change us, transform us. Lord, we receive today the word of God. Ho! Amen. So the the word of God, we desperately need the word of God again, because this is not religion. This is not live up to this standard. This is be transformed by this. Now, of course, in this situation, we uh, we see, you know, one out of four pretty much fails dismally, right? One out of four. I mean, only one out of four succeeds. Three out of four fail. Three out of four don't have the prerequisite heart and it's all about the heart. You know, the ground is symbolic of your heart. So seed is going, it's being sent into the heart. Three out of four don't have the right kind of heart. One out of four do, 25%. I don't know if that is meant to be somewhat literal or anything like that. It doesn't really matter. But the point is there are numbers of different conditions of our hearts that need to be dealt with. And even when there is good soil, right, not all good soil is as good as good soil. So, yeah, good. some soil is producing more than others. So this is the pivotal question for us. What do I do about my soil? Have, did I, was I born with this soil? Did I, you know, is it, is, it, is it all about genes? Is it all about inheritance from my parents? You know, is the fact that, well, my grandparents weren't Christians. They were Satanists. Therefore, I can only expect such and such in my life. Or my parents and my grandparents and 18 generations of Christians and godliness and whatnot has fallen to me. Therefore, I now have a capacity that's much greater than anybody else. Well, you know, some of that is true. There, is, there are things that are handed down from generation to generation. There is iniquity that affects one generation in another. You see that in the natural. People raised, you know, in poverty. People raised without education. People raised without love. People raised without sensible wisdom are frustrated in terms of their journey. But are we stuck? That's the question. Am I locked into the condition of my heart right now? I don't know. Does anybody have an answer? So we have these, these conditions, and you know, let's just revisit them very quickly. The stony heart. Now, interestingly enough, these are not people who don't receive the word when it comes. They actually receive the word. So, so they take in the seed, but they don't have the capacity to nurture that seed. So there's a stony heart. And then the, there's the seed that falls on the wayside. And the birds come immediately and steal. Now, what are the birds? There's a level of spiritual warfare around this. Now, I'm trying to remember. I can't teach it today. But there's, a, there's an exhortation by Jesus. Take heed. Take heed. In other words, be careful about what you're hearing. Now, this is really important for us today because the reality is, in some cases, 50 to 90% of what I'm saying is being missed by most people in the room. The reality is we all go on little mental rabbit trails, okay? So you guys that were just, you know, putting pots on the, on the pan and thinking about, you know, the groceries yet again, come back. 
come back. You know, so uh, because it says, take heed, be careful about what you give yourself to and give yourself to hearing the word because, because the measure you give, it shall be measured back to you. In other words, that, that this seed, you need to actually keep it. You need to be diligent in holding on to it. And so we could talk about some of the disciplines around that. That's what meditating on the word, memorizing the word, reading the word is all about. That's what hearing scriptures or, or hearing sermons when you're driving or praying in the spirit and, uh, and meditating on a message because you're saying, you're essentially saying, I, I want this, I want to keep this word. I want this seed to not just be plucked up by the nearest bird and consumed by them. I want it to actually go into the ground of my heart and do what it was intended to do. So, um, but you have, you know, the, you have the weeds and you have the rest of these things. But clearly you have conditions here that will not allow the seed to bear fruit. What are we going to do? What are we going to do about that? We'll turn to Joel 2.13. We're going to read three scriptures. Now listen, this is Old Testament. These are, these are people who mostly are stuck on externals. It's like they don't, they don't understand, you know, well, they don't understand the new covenant, we said. You know, we said, well, there's, you know, they were all about sort of superficial, shadowy things, and it wasn't related, it connected to the real stuff. Well, uh, yes, but no. As much, some of the things are, that are available to us, in fact, a lot of the things that are available to us were available to them. But there is a progression of revelation. So that's why we see a man like David who lived like a modern-day believer. I mean, he interpreted the word in a way that nobody of his day did and uh, saw things that nobody else did. But listen to this. This is pretty cool. He says, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Hmm, mourning. That's not like daybreak. All right, that's sorrow. Not really regret, but passionate desire, you know, tears and crying. When's the last time you turned to God with mourning? I mean, think about it. I'm not here to point fingers or anything, but this is the question. We want things from God, right? We want his kingdom. I was actually, uh, when I was in Belgium uh, uh, last week, I was praying over this young man, really nice looking young man. Uh, I was in a French church. They were largely from Congo and... um, uh, the, these folks, and anyway, I, so I prophesied and spoke to them in French. It was great practice. But anyway, I'm, I'm looking at this guy, and I'm seeing him trying to get things from God, but not trying very hard. That's what, I, what I'm seeing. So, and I'm seeing him being set up for disappointment because God is not giving him what he wants. And so I, as I begin to prophesy, I say to him, I hear you saying in disappointment, but God, how come? Because I've done everything right. And what happens is we have this idea that, you know, well, I went to church. Well, I paid my tithes. Well, I, I am doing my best, you know, to do what God wants me to. I'm, I'm trying not to steal, right? I'm trying not to lie. I'm trying not to, you know, I'm not assuming that we're doing all these things perfectly. But our sense is that, you know, God should be more responsive to me. And as I looked at this young man, I saw a young man who was feeling like, man, I am, and he looked like he had some real potential in life. And I thought, sometimes, you know, we think we're throwing God a bone by doing obedience. You know, like, God, do you know who I could be without you? 
Right? We wouldn't actually come out and say that. But it's like, I've done these little token things, and you're not coming through for me. And so I said, I, said, I hear you saying, but God... I've done everything you asked. And he begins weeping, just bawling and bawling and bawling. And I heard the Lord say to him, he said, I'll be the one who decides when you've done everything I asked. See, this is part of what it means for God to be God, right? We don't really understand the conditions of a heart that will produce righteousness. It is not our job to tell God, hey, I have measured up. You know, I gave that gift and I, I sucked it up and said sorry to that person that I shouldn't have and you should be doing more for me. Have you ever felt like that? Don't answer. Don't answer. But sometimes we feel like, you know, God's not coming through fast enough. I think God knows a little more about the conditions of the heart he's trying to create in us to produce the kingdom of God than we know. And I know it's hard to be, it's sucky to always be the one that's wrong. But in the relationship that you have with a perfect God, as I've said before, get, get used to it. Okay? You will always be the weakest link. You will always be the one that's wrong. Let God be true in every man a liar. Because when your voice differs from God's voice, right, you're wrong. When you're wondering who's more righteous, you are God. Who's more faithful, you are God. Who's, who's more deserving of reward, you are God. Okay, there we go. But it, let's, let's read this again. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart. And this is what I said to the young man. I said, I said you, don't, you don't have any idea what it means to turn to God with all your heart. And God is saying, this is the prerequisite. You need to seek me with all your heart. When you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. But there's this gray ground where we can deceive ourselves into believing that because we did things that were uncomfortable, that we didn't want to do, that therefore it was all because it was more than we ever did before. And God is saying, God's not saying, you know, oh, that's terrible. He's just saying, no, no, just keep coming. Just keep coming. When the, when the bell dings, you'll know you've arrived. Right? And like this is, this is a, a threshold sign. When you cross this threshold, then you'll have this. And so we are the ones whose knowledge is incomplete. And the humility that understands that, coupled with, and this is the part he's saying, mourning, right? What does he say? With fasting, with weeping, and mourning. In other words, in other words do you, can you pull together all the desire and, and, and seek me with everything? I mean, or it's like, well, you know, I could take lunch off. Or, you know, well, I'm fasting television today. Or, and again, I'm not a, that's not bad, right? You've got to start somewhere. Okay, so fast television, you know, when you're seeking God. But the question is, what are you willing to give up to seek God? Now, I hesitate saying stuff like this. You know why? Because there's some in the midst of us who want to twist God's arm. So it's like, you know what? Well, that's it, man. I'm going to fast for 40 days. I am not going to go to work. I'm going to take work off, and I'm not going to work, and I'm going to all day long, and I'll be like Daniel, going to lay on my right side and my left side, and I'm going to, you know, I might even be naked in my house and, you know, do it with Isaiah did, and I'm going to, and I'm going to fast, and I'm not even going to have water for 40 days. I'm, I'm going to come near to death, and then God's going to have to. It, it doesn't work that way. So I hesitate to put out the prescription. If you do this, then God's going to, when you turn with all your heart, See, you can turn with your strength, but not your heart. 
You can turn with your lips and not your heart. Well, how do I, how do I turn my heart? That's the thing. You don't know. Well, why doesn't he tell me? There's something about weakness. Weakness. Now, it, it connects to this, what we're talking about. Weakness is a breach in the soil of your life that God can put seed into, okay? Weakness, when you got land by the wayside, that means it's trodden down. Nothing can penetrate it, so the seed sits on the top of the ground, and the birds come and they eat it. Why? Because there's no breaches. Stones is really, really hard places. Weeds, of course, they are what they are. We know that, but they'll, they'll choke the seed. But all of these conditions of the heart are about what will cause the heart to be available for the seed. So here in this Old Testament world where all the prescriptions for serving and seeking God are external, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, do this, do this, and if you do all that right, everything will go well for you. Here, right in the middle of that, the prophet says, don't rend your garments. In other words, don't, it's not this outside thing. Rend your heart. Well, if we don't know how to do that. See, rending your heart is far harder to do than it is to just fast for three days. Because, I mean, the Pharisees did it. That's why Jesus said to them, you know, this people draws near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So, God, how do we become this people? How do I I change the soil of my heart? How do I get this kind of fruitful ground? Let me tell you, it's happening as we speak. The, The life choices, the life difficulties, the life strains, the life things that are happening in your life right now are part of that. They're part of that. It doesn't mean that everything that happens to you is willed by God, but you know what? Sometimes God, God will, will say, listen, I, I need to break up some fallow ground in your life, and, and you've asked me to help you with this, so I'm going to allow something to happen that shocks your, your sense of permanence so that I can get a breach into you. Because we do need a lot of help. We really don't know. We see in part, very small parts. And this relationship that we have has has always got to be us like this and him dignified and lifted up and glorified. Us always bowing low. Us always saying, you are the great one. You are the one who has the knowledge. You are the one who deserves all the praise. What God does in our journey is he... He helps us see those parts of our hearts that are not willing to do that. Now, there's another scripture very, well, let me finish. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and with mourning. Surrender your hearts and, and not your garments. Return to the Lord God, your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. What it's telling us is that the conditions for our blessing are available to us. Every single one of us. Now there's another one. It's in Hosea, Hosea 10 verse 12. Listen to this. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. Wow. See, we, are, we aren't victims. We aren't stuck. We aren't, you know, part of what the kingdom of God does upon a society is it makes people realize that spiritually and naturally we are not victims. This is why you have, you know, with the Protestant Reformation, you have this great 
the great surge of ingenuity and diligence in the Protestant people that creates a base of wealth because not only were people realized that they can seek God and touch God, that they weren't, they weren't cut off from him and, you know, sort of, you know, stuck waiting in the darkness until God saw good and fit to turn their direction and say, okay, I'll throw you a bone, but that they could actually seek God and find God, that he was willing to manifest himself. But then we began to realize that we were not victims in any way that God has made us to be uh, stewards of our own lives, that we can create, we, have, we can develop skills, we can create business, we can apply ourselves to do things, to build things, and create wealth. Wow, how about that? So God is trying to break off of us the mentality that we're stuck. Now, here's the problem that we have, is that sometimes it takes a while. Because we are groping in the dark, so to speak. Because we don't know right now, like right, right, right now, I don't know how to posture myself in such a way that my heart is more open than I know right now. I don't know how to do that. I don't know, how do I seek God with more of my heart? Okay, I p- pulled somebody up here and I said, okay, seek God with more of your heart. And I, I you know, I'd, but okay, if you were put on the spot, now seek God with all your heart. What would that look like? Of course, you know, we think, well, you know, it'd probably be reflected in my body language. But, you know, you already know that, so you could just copy that. So how do you know for sure that you're actually engaging the part that needs to be engaged? See, many of us right now are in a scenario where God has planted seed, and there's been righteousness in our lives. And we've said to God, God, more. And you know what that means? Tell you what that means. That means he's looking at you, and he's looking at that little parcel of ground in your life that has been bearing fruit, but then he's looking at all the rest of your heart where the fallow ground is and where the stones are. And when you say more, he's saying, oh, good, let's break up this other ground. He's saying, okay, we can bring forth a better harvest, but we need more land. And so right now, there's these strongholds in your heart. And I, I haven't been able to go near this era of your heart. But okay, we're, because you've given me permission by saying, God, I want more of you, let's do that. <laughs> well, it's not, it, is, it could be disaster, but it doesn't have to be disaster. But, but it is what makes you vulnerable. You know, what makes you feel weak? What makes you feel humble? What makes you want to cry out to God? Have you ever noticed the waves, the ebbs and flow in your life when you cry out to God with all your heart and times when you just don't? Like this morning, you, you came in here, right? I guarantee you, if you came in here this morning, having gone to the doctor yesterday, and the doctor said, you have two months to live because you have cancer, I guarantee you, your level of desperation of pursuit of God, you know, the, the ability to amass your attention and your energies towards God would be probably greater today than it was last week. Yet the truth is, on a universal scale, your need for God has not changed one iota, but your perception of your need has changed. And so your perception of your need and not your actual need is what dictates how, how much you actually reach to God. So... God is saying, listen, I want to break up the fallow ground of your heart. I want to teach you how to rend your heart. I I remember recently, I was in a gathering. God was challenging some things. He was challenging me because I have a parcel of ground in my life that is producing some good fruit. Okay? And what I tend to do is is I I, I just camp there all the time. And this is the reality for all of us. There's a part of your ground. If you're saved 
And if you've had any success in God at all, there's a part of the ground that's producing something good. But God, God was leading me to a place where I wanted, to, I wanted more, but I didn't know what that meant. But I'm asking for it. But I start to notice there's a threshold of authority and life around a certain environment that I'm involved with that I, for the life of me, I can't get into. And then I watch people sort of begin to, to release things to the Lord. And I, I, I can emulate the style of what they're doing, but I, I know I don't have the heart. Now, what is that about? Well, if you're a good actor, you can emulate any style. Mourning and weeping? Oh, I can do mourning and weeping. Hold on a second. <laughs> this is not about better acting, which is a problem when we're gifted because we, we, we can convince ourselves that we're doing the thing. Pharisees, right? They're great actors. But I begin to realize that that, that person is touching a realm. They're doing something on a heart level. See, I was always I was much more comfortable with doing things on a revelation level. Because revelation is part of my main gift, what I function in. Uh, my spiritual gifts allow me to access the knowledge of God in a way that's distinct and that I've been commended for. So I tend, I, I've been limited to that. And a couple of years ago, God began to say to me, if you want to go to the next level, something's got to change in your heart. And I thought, well, I've been trying to. How do I do that? So I've been trying to. How do I do that? So a little help here. Because it's a journey. It's a journey. The conditions for changing a heart aren't in the will. Man is born again, not by the will of man or by flesh and blood. So, you know, we tend to, you know, those of us that have been able to harness our energy to put our best foot forward, there comes a place where God says, that's good, I'm great, you learned to harness that will, but this next level is going to take more than that. So I'm not going to actually breathe upon that part of you. And sometimes, you know, that was me for a long time that I just kept, you know, using my will to try to force myself into a place that was only available to open hearts. I thought, okay, well, God, how do I do this? Well, it's going to take a journey. I'm going to have to start because the truth is the ground in this area that I'm after is so hard, Mark. I need to break it up. You know how he breaks it up? with your wife. Our wives are wonderful. Well, mine is. I, I can't speak for yours. Mine is absolutely amazing. But, you know, and she's, she gets frustrated about certain ways that I am. And I try to tell her, listen, it's not just about changing my behavior because I've tried to do that and I can't, I can't seem to do that. Even so, her voice sort of whispering in the background of my life Sometimes I thought I was the accuser of the enemy. It's sort of this truth that's kind of... (laughs) And it's only annoying. It's only annoying when you're not ready to hear it. But it's like there's something shifting in my life today that I've been longing for for a long time. Again, this is why it's not about condemnation or, or shame or guilt or anything like that. We are... We are in this journey where God, God is creating in us a faith and he's perfecting that faith. And yet this side on the other side, we're, we're called to seek him with all of our heart, yet we don't know how. So we're stuck in this tension between not knowing how to seek with all my heart and being called to seek with all my heart. So what do you do? Well, you have to do what you know to do. 
But we get frustrated in that place because, well, why isn't more happening? Because on the surface, I'm doing more than that guy. And, you know, and, I, and this guy has got this problem. That guy, because we're looking at other people's parcel of lands. So we think, well, I'm more fruitful in this area. And clearly because I'm doing it, this is the most important area. So how do we do this? Well, it's interesting some of these verses that are here because if you slip over to James, because, you know, the, all these verses, I mean, other than the parable that outlines the, the dynamics of how the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom is manifested, it's, it's via the hearts of people. This is happening through our hearts. But if you go to James, now you know that James is one of my favorite books. and It's one of those books that causes a lot of people consternation because, you know, if you're trying to believe God and have faith, and, and then he says in here, but you have faith without works is dead. And so it's like, you know, some people, is James even a Christian? Does he even know what salvation by faith means? No, he absolutely does. And so the, the core of the book of James is all about the heart, the condition of the heart. So what he's saying, he's not, he's not saying you, you're a bunch of hypocrites, but he's saying, listen, well, there's some duplicity in your life, and it's because your heart is not what you think it is. And so he's saying you're, you're speaking these things in this one moment, and you're speaking these things in this other moment, and these are contrary the one to another. This one is from God, and this one's from you, well, you know where. You know, it's out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So the issue is not stop saying that. Well, it might be, you know, as a short-term fix, you know, don't, you know, pull the reins on what you're speaking when you know it's evil. But really, that's not the real fix. That's scaffolding, right? The real fix is change your heart. Well, you know what, I got this, I don't know, I, I, well, I, what's going on? Well, why is it taking so long? Because I have this anger, or I have this lust, or I have this jealousy, or I have this fear, or this stuff just comes out of my heart, and it, you know, I find myself saying and doing things that are inappropriate, and, and what do I do? He said, well, seek God with all your heart. Well, I'm trying. Evidently, you're not desperate enough, and that's the issue. Well, how do I get more desperate? And again, if we're performance-oriented, we hear these things and we can easily say, well, okay, from now on, you know, I'm going to put it out there. I'm, 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 I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to start doing this. I'm gonna... But your heart hasn't changed. See, there is a change of lifestyle that happens because there's a heart change. And there's a change of lifestyle that we force upon ourselves because we want to be further than we are. And God is saying, this is an organic process. I'm dealing with your heart. And you know what? You're going to spill into this one. And you're going to spill into this one. You're going to not do enough, and then you're going to do too much. But along the journey, God is working on your heart. But notice how some of the language here is very similar. Because he's, he's using circumstances in their life. He's talked about their heart and the things they're saying. And then, and then he starts to talk about strife, trouble in relationships. So you guys can't get along with one another. There's, all this hatred and bitterness and attacks and, and judgment and criticism of one another. And you're supposed to be brothers and sisters. Listen, that there is evident that, there, that your heart is not what it ought to be. So what does he say to do? This is what he says. Where do wars? First he's telling them, look at wars and struggles and strife and relationships. That comes from the heart. So it says, where do wars come and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires? For pleasure that war in your members, you lust, you, you desire, you want, and you do not have. You murder and you covet and cannot obtain. No, they not, weren't really murdering. But remember in Galatians, he said you, you're devouring one another through your words. 
be careful before that you you know you're turning into spiritual cannibals, zombies. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And then you ask because I said you should ask, and you do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses. What? 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 We're Christians. We're born again. We're spirit filled. I speak in tongues. How dare you, James? Yeah, now I know you're not saved. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever there wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, he's not talking about, you know, oh, don't play cards. He's talking about the ways of the world. You love the pride of life. You love the lusts of the flesh. You love the, the lusts of the eye more than you love and hunger and pant for righteousness. Whoever therefore wants to be the friend of God makes himself the enemy of God. Or do you not know or think that the scripture says in vain the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? That means there's something in you that, that calls to God, that longs. There's a deep that calls a deep that's calling you to a, a, a better aligned, a more aligned heart to God. So, but he says this, he said, but God gives grace. Therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is where we start to get into the whole idea of breaking up the fallow ground. Strong, hard, impenetrable ground, may may be secure in one way, but it's unyielding in a way that it shouldn't be. So he says, here's how you fix this problem of lack of humility and confidence in human strength. Submit to God. Submit to God, submit to God, submit to God. And that's not just like, God, I submit to you. (laughs) If it were only that easy, right? It's, uh, well, I'm trying to. And believe me, it is a journey. Uh, The people right now are going through it. All of these things. You know, I, I remember there was a time in my life where I was going hard after the call of God, and I laid down a lot of things, and things were not going well. Things were going abysmally worse. I mean, way worse than anybody else who wasn't even seeking God half as much as I was. So I was thinking, this is not fair. This is not right. And God said, yeah, but don't look at others because I've called you to something else and it just requires more death. So die already. So, you know, I apply myself to dying more and I'm thinking, okay, well now, and then it doesn't happen and there's still delay and then there's more trouble and then there's criticism and then I'm getting attacked by people and I'm getting misunderstood and I'm like, what, what, what? Is this what you've given me? He says, submit to God. Oh yeah, I'm submitted. The mindset, the thing that says, this is not fair. Okay, God's saying, how does that fit with submit to me? You've decided you're fairer than I am. You know what justice is, and I do not. Well, Lord, this is too much for me. I can't handle more. You know, I got five kids, and and I I can't, you know, I can't raise them. I have no house. I have no money. I have no food. You call me to walk by faith. I've begged you, let me plant a church or something. So frustrated. But I knew that I needed to turn on that I could feel it. I could feel this thing in my heart that is at odds with the mind of God. I could feel it. This is all so frustrating, but I I don't want a heart that's not aligned with you. And this is the, this is the heart of what we're saying. This is the core of what we're saying. 
We can try and measure ourselves through how much we go to church and whether we tithe. All those things, that obedience is important. It's elementary before you get into this deeper stuff. And you should be doing that. But that doesn't guarantee that your heart is really aligned. So he goes on, he says, listen, submit to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee. What does that mean? Does that mean when you're vulnerable to the enemy, it means you're not submitted to me? What? Let me say it again. When you're vulnerable to the enemy, it means in an area you're not submitted to me. Oh, that makes me fear, you know, because I'm maybe what if I'm not submitted in a whole bunch of areas? Then the enemy can just do what he wants. No, no, no. I cover you. And that's what God's done. God, you are way less submitted than you know, but God covers you anyway. But when he starts to deal with an area, he starts to pull back that grace so that you can see the vulnerability to the enemy, which suggests misalignment. We're not victims here. We are we're being chaperoned into this, carefully brought in. James is... He might be saved, eh? This is great wisdom. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Okay, so, you know, all right, if there's sin in your life, uh, no brainer, I hope. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Ooh, it's a little harder. How do I do that? Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Sounds a lot like Hosea and Joel and Moses. I thought this is new covenant. I thought we were free from all that legalism. No, God is changing hearts. Our understanding of the prescription has changed but we need to make room for him in our hearts. Now, there's an even worse scenario. What if I don't care? What if I realize on some level, you know, I'm happy with my life as it is. I'm doing pretty good. But, you know, Pastor Mark said this, and I should want to want more. So you give God, yeah. You, you use the faith you have to say, God, I may be... I'm not full-hearted in my service of you, and I don't know how to get there. I don't know how to harness the, the strings of my heart to desire you. So I'm beginning to ask you, and I believe that if that's you today, and that's all of us, I think, on some level, but we're, asking, we're just presenting. We're not feeling guilty. We're saying, God, I want to want you. I want to want you. So, Lord, we want to say today, let this word not pass from us. But it's like we're at the place we're at saying, God, I want my heart to be so fully aligned with you. I don't want to pretend. I don't want to live in delusion. I don't want to to be less than what you've called me to be. And I... And I I feel pain in my heart right now. I'm not having a heart attack, believe me. But I feel my chest, a tightness all over my chest because I feel like God is trying to enlarge 
the highway of our hearts so that he can flow through us. So, Lord, we want to we wanna cry out to you today and say, Lord, teach us how to be desperate. Teach us how to follow hard after you. Teach us, Lord, to be able to say without any kind of hypocrisy, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. Lord, we sing all of these songs and their soul... They're so all-inclusive in their language, and yet sometimes I feel embarrassed to sing things that I know when you're after more of my heart. And I'm wondering now if when David said, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places, if he's talking about an alignment in his heart, and he may or he may not, but if he does mean that, I want to say, God, I want the lines of my heart to fall in pleasant places. God, I want a a desire to propel me to be able to seek after you. I don't want to be like Esau who who wept. He he lamented. He, He tears, strong crying, and yet no place of change was found. He could not be changed because he wasn't really seeking you with his heart. He he couldn't break up the fallow ground, but he desperately felt guilty and that he was about to miss something. God, we don't want to be locked in that world. We want to be like Jacob. Lord, who even though he was a scoundrel and a liar and a thief, he wanted what you wanted. He valued what you valued. Father, I pray and I, I believe that there is a miracle of transformation on its way for a generation. I believe that the capacity to be all in, that that, that is a, going to be a, the ability that marks a generation. They are the generation of Jacob. And I've prophesied this before, and I'm going to prophesy it again. That there's a generation of Jacob that seeks his face. That when he says, seek my face, the whole heart, our whole being says, your face, Lord, I will seek. (sighs) Every mother knows that their children cry out from different places. From anger, from irritation, from annoyance, from hurt feelings. And the sound of urgency when imminent danger, full-hearted cry is heard by a mother. That is the sound a mother will not easily ignore. In the same way, there is a sound of fullness that comes from a people that awakens the heart of a father that causes, that he will respond to because it is the prescribed sound he's looking for. So, Father, we say that as a people, we want you to fashion in us, God, that sense of urgency, that sense of whatever it is, however we can define it, that will cry out to you for the kingdom of God to come here. That's not rooted in the need for just an additional convenience. It's not rooted in the selfish desire to be better than the church down the road. 
But it is aligned with your desire for what you want to do here in this place and in our lives. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to say, God, we want to cry out to you with that kind of heart. God, we want to cry out to you with all the sincerity and the fullness and the desire. Lord, where we're not putting on crocodile tears and we're not learning a format or a style. But desire, desire for you can't be quieted. So, Lord, bring us to that place in our lives. Now, as we're closing today, what do we do now? Maybe, maybe we've just noticed that, oh, there might be areas in my heart that God's after. Maybe our biggest concern is giving our wives the satisfaction of knowing they were right about some things. That smacks of pride. But we're on a journey. And this is a word you need to keep. This is a word you need to meditate on. This is a word you need to spend some time this week and say, God, what do you want me to do with this? How do I, how do, I do this? What do I do? Put on some worship music. Begin to read Matthew 13. And just reach out to God. God, I, what if, what if you could bring forth the manifestation of Jesus in a way I couldn't even imagine? And I, I've been overlooking it because I thought my moral perfection, my moral disciplines were adequate for, especially as compared to others. This is an opportunity. This is a door of hope for us. So I pray in Jesus' name that that seed will have found breaches in the ground of your life, good soil. And so, Lord, we we even ask now for grace to break up ground where that seed has fallen on, where the, the, the soil is not quite ready. God, mercy, mercy. Mercy, let your presence, let the water drops of your presence drip on that hard ground and may, may it soften to receive the word so it can bring forth fruit. Can you say amen?